0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. 1 Peter's all the way towards the, the back of your Bible, right before the book of, of Revelation. If you need a few Bibles, there's one on the end of the, a few, and you can look it up uh, there. And as we turn to the passage continuing on in our series uh, through this book of 1 Peter this fall, you will see that the very first verse, we're going to read verse 18, is probably one of the most uh, well-known from the book of First Peter, most uh, commonly uh, memorized and fairly easily understood, even if it's uh, uh, maybe challenging to embrace the fullness of it. And then you'll see that verses 19 through 22 are some verses of Scripture that easily make uh, most people's list of the top ten most confusing, perplexing, complicated verses in the whole Bible. So that's what we're in store for today. Uh, I'm actually excited as I wrestle through these verses of this week in preparation for our time with uh, some really uh, important, I think, life-transforming applications that the Lord's going to give to us from His Word. And, and just invite you to walk with me through these. I think each of these puzzle pieces is a bit puzzling in itself. But once we get to see how they're shaped and fit together, It's going to lay out for us a beautiful picture. And the picture is this, or I'm going to summarize it this way following Peter's lead. The picture is of the work of our salvation that comes through Jesus as a ship, as a vessel that is rising and sailing uh, through the water, bringing us to eternal life, even through the icebergs and ice that would keep us from experiencing all of God's grace, that Jesus powers through that, carries us through in this vessel, this ship. And you'll see what I'm talking about as we read these verses. I invite you to stand with me in recognition of God's Word, its holiness, its power, even in the places where it might, uh, on the surface, be confusing to us. And I'll read aloud as you read along silently 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18-22. through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, having been subject to Him. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for us again. Oh, Father, we thank You for the life-transforming realities of this passage that are crystal clear and very straightforward, but challenging often for us to fully receive. And we thank You for the parts of this passage that are challenging for us to understand. And I ask that you give us your wisdom and insight so that our lives would be blessed through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I imagine uh, probably all of us are familiar to some degree with the fateful voyage of the ship Titanic that monumental vessel in its extravagance, power, and size, that when it struck ice, sunk down, bringing so many under the water with it. We're familiar with that story. And so it was intriguing to me as I thought about this work of Jesus and the opportunity that we have to, to be with Him in the ship of His salvation, if you will, that there are actually boats made today, huge boats, uh, equal to a, a football field and a half long or longer, propelled, some of them I read, by 75,000 horsepowers of propeller output, and they're expressed purpose is to carry people and cargo safely through arctic ice sometimes several meters thick that they make these vessels that they're designed to power up and over and actually crash through the ice traveling as fast as 10 knots through these huge piles of arctic ice and it made me think about our passage today About the work that Jesus done, which Peter wants us in in this, again, somewhat perplexing way to connect up with Noah and what the Lord did in that time of Noah in preserving his people and protecting them and bringing them, if you will, through water to salvation. And I want us to consider it this way. If you want to follow along with me in, in the back of your worship guide, there's a notes section Uh, The main idea, I believe, is this, and and you don't have it listed there already for you, so you might want to get out a pen and jot it down if you'd like to take some notes, is this, and and I hope you'll, you'll see where I'm headed as we move forward. That since Jesus lifts us up in the ship of His saving work, since Jesus lifts us up in the ship of His saving work, that we can sail forward. We can sail forward right in the midst of the forces of evil in this life and the next. That we can sail forward right in the midst of the forces of evil in this life and the next. Now, whether we realize it or not, spiritual ice threatens to keep us going where we need to be for salvation, for a relationship with Christ. And Peter lists two of these layers, if you will of ice right off the bat in verse 18. he talks about sin and he talks about death and how Jesus deals with those two realities. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And you may be here we're probably many of us on various different places spiritually You may be here this morning and and you uh, understand the biblical idea that we're sinners, that we've turned away from God, that we've fallen short of His glory, that we deserve wrath and judgment because of that, but yet that Jesus has paid the price for our sins and saved us, and and you may embrace that. Maybe also would understand the fact that we deserve death. That death is the consequence that we see across humanity because of that sin, and yet Jesus has risen up and taken that away uh, for us who trust in him. We may see that or not, but Peter is reminding us that it's all over the Bible. It's one of the central messages of the Bible, that the ice that would keep us from salvation is sin and death. That's a couple of the layers of ice. But he also identifies another one that may surprise us. Uh, Peter says that there's a whole other layer to what's going on in reality, that there are spiritual forces of evil, if you will, those deep several meters of ice underneath that surface layer of ice that we don't necessarily see tangibly, we don't necessarily observe, that nevertheless are influencing the world, are at work in, in our lives in tempting us to walk away from relationship with God or to turn away from Him. Uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks to it, and if you want to turn there with me, you can. Uh, Romans is right after the book of, of Acts in the New Testament. And these may be verses that, that we've perhaps heard before, but I want you to listen and hear the parallels that are here in Romans 8 to what Peter says in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Romans 8, verse 31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He also not with Him give us graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then jumping down to verse 37. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Marvelous passage. Peter's wanting to convey to us the same thing that whatever powers would be out there, whatever forces are at work in the world, that if we align ourselves, if we enter into that ship with Jesus through faith in him, that he will carry us through safely. He has the power to do that. So let's talk about this. First, looking at uh, verse 18 and what it says about the layers of ice of sin and death and how Jesus deals with that. And then we're going to get, don't worry, I'm not going to dodge it. I already we're doing the passage today. We're going through this passage. I'm going to get to these other verses. And I think we'll, uh, we'll see, Lord willing, how they all actually connect and relate to one another. Look with me at verse 18. Because it's marvelous just in itself. And one worthy of committing to our memory, each one of us. One worthy for us to remind each other of every day. Verse 18 of First Peter Chapter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Begins by saying that Jesus suffered for sins. Now, if you've been uh, able to be with us for the last couple of weeks and months, you know that suffering is actually a theme in this letter of 1 Peter. That it's listed there at least 11 times in this short little book. And it talks about the fact that we're going to face suffering as Christians. It talks about the fact that Jesus is an example for us in how he dealt with suffering. But here is the the hinge, the crux, that all of that hangs on. It's the fact that Jesus suffered for us. He took what we deserve. He suffers on our behalf, not just as some example for us to follow, although he is that, but that he would purchase the price of our salvation. Hebrews 9 says this, and again, if you'd like to turn over there, you can or just listen as I read it to us. Hebrews, this book describing sort of the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it relates to what Christ has done, says this, For Christ has entered, in verse 24 of chapter 9, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, he's talking about the temple and the Old Testament temple system, But into heaven itself, that's where Jesus is gone, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then read with me just a couple more verses from chapter 10 of Hebrews. In verse 10, it says, by that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then listen to this description. And again, listen to all the parallels to what First Peter has told us. And every high priest, st- every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus suffers for sins. He takes care of sin in that way. Second thing we see that's found in this verse 18. That Jesus offers Himself the righteous for the unrighteous. This is the centerpiece of the Gospel. And people of God, I pray that we would believe in this exchange of righteousness that we have. This beautiful reality that Jesus offers to give us all of His righteousness, which He has a bountiful surplus of, in exchange for our sin and take it away from us. You know, we went down to Peru for this mission trip Oh, I guess a month ago we got back now. And, you know, if you've ever done any international traveling, one of the first things you do, maybe you're smart and you do it before you go, or like me, when you get there, you do it. The first thing is to get some money changed into the currency of the country that you're in. And one of the things that's really helpful to know is whether you're getting a good rate. Am I getting a good exchange rate? Am I giving them a dollar and they're giving me A half a sole, when I'm supposed to get in Peru, two and .49 soles, is the exchange rate good? Folks, let me tell you about the greatest exchange rate that you can enjoy. And that is this exchange where Jesus offers to take all of our sin, all of our debt before God, and give to us all of His righteousness. Now, however we feel about... Uh, governments that don't have uh, money and are digging their own debts, providing bailouts, the reality is this. We desperately, each one of us individually, need a bailout from Jesus. And He has a surplus for us to provide exactly what we need. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. To be it. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That means we're not, as believers, if we put our faith in Christ, simply reset to neutral, folks. And now we got to just get the Christian life out on our own and do the Christian life on our own. No, Jesus has not just reset us to neutral. He has allowed us to have an accumulation of righteousness so that Jesus so that the Lord God sees us as Jesus is seen in His sight. Righteousness that we don't deserve. A third thing in this verse 18. It says that this suffering for sins takes place, this righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Is it all just some sort of transaction, some sort of philosophy, some sort of uh, exchange? No. It's ultimately to bring us to God so that we'd experience the living God, be able to walk through each day knowing Him and walk into eternity, as it says here, that He might bring us to God. And then lastly, it says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, Jesus put the stamp of His accomplishment on His work to conquer sin and death by rising up from the grave so that we would know and all humanity would know that He's done. What he said he would do. Okay? So this is Jesus on this ship of his salvation, 75,000 horsepower of propulsion powering us through these first two layers of ice of sin and death. Let's look at the rest of the passage now. See what the Lord would teach us. What about that? layer of ice that's further below the surface. I think that's what verses 19 through 22 are talking about. Those forces of evil that are at work in the world, and it may be complex for us, but it actually is going to come home in a way that is really important to our day-to-day lives. Look with me at verse 19. And we want to answer first this question. Who are these, or what is this about these spirits in prison? It says that he went, Jesus did, and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. The spirits here are referring to the fact, and, and it's interesting if you look across the scope of the Bible and just look up those two words together spirits in prison. There's only two places where those are mentioned together. One's in Revelation, one's in 2 Peter. And the point is this the only places that those things are referred to, it's talking about evil ones, about fallen angels, fallen spirits, demons, Satan who are at work against the kingdom of God, who are at work against God's purposes in the world. And the interesting thing is that it says Jesus proclaimed something to them. So, you know, if they're not people, if they're not good angels, if they're evil spirits that are decidedly against God, what is he proclaiming? Is this, this is a last-ditch evangelistic sermon of some sort that Jesus is giving to try to sway those demons over? I don't think so. The word proclaimed here just means preached, spoke forth. And what Jesus is proclaiming to these demons, these forces of evil, is just what is in verse 18, just what we were talking about. He's proclaiming the fact that he has, through his work, despite their attempts to thwart him, despite Satan tempting him in the desert, despite the demons working against his earthly ministry, despite the temptation in the garden to turn away from his ministry, that Jesus has gone and done what he said that he would do. And, you know, if uh, if you're out at a sporting event and uh, one team is playing against the others and has a big win over the other team, you know, it's it's not really good sportsmanship for the winning team to parade in front of that other team and sing, we are the champions, my friend, you know, to, to do that. You know, we see Usain Bolt after he wins his amazing uh, Olympic medals and so forth, but we know he's, he's just a man, and those records will probably one day be broken by another, and he runs around the track, and we think, well, that's just a little bit silly, a little bit of overkill. There can be no overkill. There can be no poor sportsmanship for Jesus when he goes and proclaims to these forces of evil the victory that he's won because it's no little contest. It's no little game on a sporting field that comes and goes. This is the most monumental thing to be accomplished in all of human history. And so Jesus goes and declares to those who were opposed to him, I have done it. I've achieved it. I have brought about this victory. That's what the spirits in prison are about, and that's why Jesus proclaims his work to them. What then does this have to do with the next verse? Look with me at verse 20 about Noah. It says these spirits imprisoned because they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah when the ark was being prepared. Well, what was going on in the times of Noah? Noah. All throughout human history, we know since the fall of man, evil has been at work in the world and been at work in the lives of people. But we also probably know and can even see in the last couple of centuries century, these periods when evil seems to just pervade and have an even greater influence. When whole nations and so forth are, are turning against God and, and collectively doing horrific things. Back in the time of Genesis chapter 6, right before Noah, the fall has happened already. Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. But it's the first time we see this picture. And it, and it tells us about it in Genesis 6. Again, you can turn there if you'd like to. About the this the horrible condition that the world is in at that time. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, listen to this, every intention... Of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That sounds like a really bad situation. That sounds like evil is having a heyday in the lives of people. It even goes so far to say in verse 6 that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But what? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What do we need to see here? Just as the waters of God's judgment both covered the face of the earth and lifted that boat of salvation in which Noah and his family were saved, So too, and I hope you can see this. If you think this verse is perplexing, this is the most beautiful thing probably from our passage today. So too, that same cross on which we see God's judgment for sin pulled out, poured out, it's a declaration of that, is also the cross that brings about our salvation and lifts us up with the work of Jesus. Peter wants us to see the beauty of these images connected together. What then does all this about Noah have to do with baptism? Peter's running with this theme of water and God lifting us up through water, and he simply refers to baptism because it's something that the people could relate to every day, a symbol of our faith where God, through water in some sense symbolically, is raising us up. The newness of life is doing a work in us. Now, he he says right away, some have harped on the fact that he says it's baptism, which now saves you, but he's not talking about the water being put on somebody because he says that right here. He says it's not about the removal of dirt. What it's about is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One more passage from uh, back in Romans that will help us to understand this. Romans 6. Peter has been, I'm sorry, Paul has been going on in Romans for several chapters about the reality of God's free grace given to us. And one of the dangers of us understanding that our sins are truly paid for, past, present, and future, simply through faith in Christ, is that we're gonna say, you know, have grace, we'll party. Right? We say it's all covered, I got my fire insurance, I got that all handled. So I can kind of go do with my life whatever I want to. I've walked the aisle or I've prayed the prayer, or I've put faith, and now I just kind of go and do my thing. Well, in 1 Peter and back here in Romans 6 where Paul is writing, uh, we're reminded that really we're supposed to have a totally different perspective. Grace, this free gift of grace, is supposed to be a transforming grace. And so Paul says in chapter 6 of Romans, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, listen to the parallel to 1 Peter, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Peter's just carrying on that same thing. That there's something symbolic in baptism of saying we align ourselves with this new life in Christ that we're seeking to live in light of God's grace in our lives. What does all of this then have to do with you and I today? Well, as we think about Jesus raising us up on this ship Powering through these layers of ice, a couple of things that come to mind. The first is that if you're here today and you are just hearing for the first time about this great exchange, about this one who would suffer and give himself for us even though he doesn't deserve it. We deserve the punishment if you're just for the first time realizing that He he really died the death we deserve and has risen up and offers to bring us with Him, I invite you to put your trust in Christ for salvation today. Receive that work for you personally. Do that. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? We who've embraced that and begun to understand that message, we struggle each day. To really walk in knowing that we have the righteousness of Christ. That we have this new identity. That we are no longer these ones that are under God's wrath. There's no condemnation for us. That we're adopted into His family. That we're loved. That we're justified. If we would begin to walk in that, what freedom we'd have, what joy, what love for God and what love for others would begin to overflow in fuller ways from our lives. And those verses 19 through 22 are important, though, too, as it talks about that underlying layer of ice, those spiritual forces that are working against us. Because we can understand what Jesus does about sin and death. We can understand the gospel. But if we miss the fact that there are actually some powerful forces in the world that are threatening us, that are tempting us individually individually, in our community, doing damage in our community, doing damage around the world, even would threaten to bring damage to our own church family. And we're not seeing the whole picture. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus says He's taking care of those. Verse 22 is our last verse as I conclude. And it tells us this, that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, Authorities and powers having been subject to Him. We don't have to fear them. We don't have to be dominated by them. We can be freed by them, freed from them, because of Jesus' saving work that He lifts us up in the ship, the vessel of His salvation. Let's pray together. Oh Father, we do offer You great praise and great thanksgiving. For the work of our salvation that's described in this passage. Lord God, we praise you that we have a, a Savior who is an, an, an ice-breaking ship. That powers through these things that would separate us and otherwise sink us and bring us down. And instead, he lifts us up with him, his work. Oh Lord, let us be strengthened by that. Let our lives be transformed. Let us be a blessing to others around us because we see what has been done for us and we embrace it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.